0: If you would, take your Bibles this morning and open to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. This is an exciting month for many reasons. This past Friday night we celebrated the graduation of Kaylee and Weston here at the church. That's was a great moment for We, their families, and thank so many of you for coming out, their church family. And then coming up later in this month, we will affirm and install two elder candidates that have been serving our church so well. And so, in light of anticipating that, I thought this would be a good time to go back and to look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about elders, about leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, and to have our minds and hearts informed by the scriptures, not only so that we can affirm them in clear and fully informed conscience that these are the men who meet these qualifications, but so that you uh, can pray for not only these men, but other men that the Lord will call in days to come to serve our church and to lead His church well such an important matter to consider the matter of leadership within the church of Jesus Christ. It's something that's deeply lacking in our day. We see the fruit of that uh, in many ways and in many places. And it goes back to uh, either an ignorance or a willful rejection of what the Bible teaches about men who would serve and lead Jesus' church. And so... Uh, It's very important for us to know and to consider and to be careful with and to cherish and to love uh, these truths. And so this morning, I want to begin a month long look into that, both beginning in Acts chapter 20 this morning and then uh, going into First Timothy three throughout the morning today and then in the weeks to come. But let's go to the Lord first and ask for his help. Father, thank you for giving us the model that you would have us to follow as men and a particular and men who would lead the church of Jesus Christ. May we not take this calling and this responsibility lightly, either as men who would be led into this role by the Holy Spirit, nor by those who will be led by them as those who should pray for them and uh, desire earnestly that God would strengthen their own lives by the leadership of men who come behind and around them and love them and shepherd and serve them by loving them in the truth of God's Word and showing them and pointing them always to Christ. May this be a fruitful time, Father, we pray. May it be useful and helpful for the kingdom's purposes here at Colonial Bible Church. And may we all benefit immensely from it and grow in it. Thank you for Terry and for Pat, Lord, and their service to your church, their character that you have wrought in them by your spirit, by their faithful servant leadership over many years here. We pray that you would continue to bless and use them even as They have been serving in this capacity already, but as this capacity is formally recognized in weeks to come, we pray that our church would benefit immensely from that. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by simply asking the question, what is an elder? What is an elder? Now, for most of you who... uh, like myself grew up in Baptist churches, you tended to think of an elder as maybe being something that occurred only in Mormon churches, you know, because every once in a while those friendly folks on bicycles showed up your door and their name tag on their glowingly white shirt said elder so-and-so. And you might be confused to think, well, is it really biblical to have elders? And the answer is yes, it is. And no, they are not. And so we want to clarify that this morning and really, I think, instruct and set the pattern for everything by asking what is what is an elder? Grammatically, the word is a noun. But in actuality, in the life of the church, it's a verb. It's like you've heard me say in the membership class. Membership in a church is not a noun. It is a verb. You are not a number on a roll. You are not a static person. You have obligations as a member of a church to be membershipping. To be loving one another. To be serving one another. The the idea of membership as a static, I just sit here, I do nothing, I just consume, is foreign to the New Testament. So it is with elders. They are not men appointed to sit on a board They are men appointed by the Holy Spirit and recognized by the church to serve in the flock. They are leaders. They are shepherds. They are to be examples and they are to be doing that actively. It is a life of action. It's a life of feeling, of emotion, of thinking, of serving, of hurting, of envisioning, of worshiping, of aiding, of proclaiming. This is what an elder is. He's a man who serves God by serving God's people. And so we want to look at what that looks like more carefully this morning. And why it is so important that we understand what He is. Not what His title says He is, but what He, meaning the elder, is. I understand, and I and I don't preach this sermon lightly, you understand, because in saying everything that I will say this morning, I understand the high accountability that I issue forth for my own life. This is what I must be. This is what you must hold me accountable to. And it is a, it is a sobering reality and a sobering task for life. Not just ministry on Sundays, but for all of my life and for all the lives of any man whom God would call to serve in this. This is our public accountability before the Lord and before you, His church, whom we love more than life itself and give our lives to serve you. It's our heart's cry and it's our heart's desire. I want you to look at Acts chapter 20 now in verse 28. I, I think one of the most moving passages in all of Scripture, maybe it's because I am a pastor, an elder, If you will, maybe it's really that moving for all of you. I hope it is. But here we have the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. And he knows that in going through Ephesus one final time, that it will be the last time he sees these people this side of heaven. These are people he has loved. These are people who he has served. This is a church he has fought for. This is a church that has... uh, given the Apostle Paul no shortage of scars in ministry because of the trials he faced there. And so Paul is on his way to Rome. Paul is going to die. Paul understands that. And he says in verse 17, and let me just read down through. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him. So Paul lands at the shore. Picture the scene. Paul lands on the shore, and Ephesus is just miles inland from the coast. And he sends a messenger and calls to him the elders of the church, men he knew, men whom he had appointed to be there. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, you yourselves know, From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. So he had a public ministry and a private ministry. He was all the time ministering, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now the sobering verse. Be on guard for yourselves. Who's he talking to? The elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Do you see that order of priority? Their own lives first and then the lives of the church among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The Apostle Paul understands the sobriety and the seriousness of those who lead the church because Loved ones, you are bought by the blood of Jesus. You are the most precious possession of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He does not tolerate men who would come in and destroy the flock, who would harm the flock, who would neglect the flock. This is highest priority. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. Who's he talking to? Elders. Among the elders, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Who will be drawn away? The ones whom Jesus gave his blood for. I think Paul's pretty serious. The ones whom Jesus died for are going to be attacked. Therefore, there must be men in place who can shepherd them. This is not a lighthearted task. This is not an easy task. This is protecting and teaching and serving the very ones for whom Jesus gave His life. Do you think God is concerned about leadership in the church? Yes, He gave His own Son to redeem the church. It's deadly serious. So a church that is not stringent about those who lead the church will not be a church that is stringent enough To persevere in faithfulness when sound doctrine and the gospel itself comes under attack. You let anybody in, you'll get what that lax attitude will give you. Weak men who are incapable of leading the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say as a side note, but it's not a side note. It's a main note. But there is nothing that we will say in the coming month that God does not call every man in this room to be. There is nothing about an elder's life that is not also expected of every Christian man. The elders are just to lead in those examples. But God desires and commands every man to be cultivating spiritual maturity just like the elders are modeling. So every man is to rise to this standard in his own life, in his own home, and to be what God has called him to be. It is just that elders have the task of equipping you and helping you and living an example for you so that that is more easily done in your own life. And I want to just point out the obvious as we go to 1st Timothy 3 shortly that the main qualities of an elder are not his formal theological education. It is not his giftedness. It is not what a great leader he is. It is not what resume in the business world he amassed to himself. It is none of that. The driving force of scripture when it talks about leaders in the church is character. Inner character that can only be brought about by being cleansed by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is what matters in the church of Jesus Christ in the leaders who lead it. And that ought to be the, the goal of every Christian man in here. It's to model this. And to lead in this and to exemplify this. And so to that end, knowing the battle that we face, that Paul has enumerated to the Ephesian elders here in Acts chapter 20, it is a spiritual battle they are about to undertake. Now, I, I, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I've never be even close to that, even though he's one of my heroes, as I'm sure he is yours. But I can't imagine the Apostle Paul's feeling here. The Apostle Paul was a tender man, but he was also a tough man. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, he compared himself to a nursing mother. That's about as tender as you can get. He loved these people. He invested his life in these people and now he knows here he's leaving them for the final time. He says, I know I'll never see your face this side of heaven again. And I'm not only leaving you, but I am leaving you in a situation where savage wolves are about to attack. Now, the closest I can come to that is my own children. I can't imagine walking off telling my children goodbye on a battlefield knowing they were about to be attacked. How heart-wrenching that must have been for the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul did not despair. He wasn't mourning as if the cause was lost and the ship was sunk. The Apostle Paul leaves these men, yes, through tears... Yes, because he knows the battles that are coming, but he leaves them with full confidence because he is assured that one thing resides in them. The the necessary main ingredient, and that is this, that elders are to be spiritual men. They are not simply organizational leaders that you can pop into a microwave and churn out on command. It does not happen that way. These are men who spend their lives in the slow crockpot. Of spiritual maturity being marinated and seasoned by suffering, by training, by experience, by wisdom. You can't just say, hey, let's have elders. Why? Because the wolves are coming. That's why. You better have the right men in place at the right time. Not just anyone and everyone. And that's why Paul is stringent And that is why Paul can actually leave the Ephesian elders and actually sleep that night. Because he knows that what resides in them will be the very thing that leads the church through the battle. And that is their own spiritual maturity as leaders. One mortal enemy that we must all put out of our head is that elders are supermen. They're not but they are called to be spiritual men. A friend of mine wrote not long ago that a godly man is not a strong man, but he is a God-strengthened man. He's not strong in his own strength. He is strong because God has strengthened him for the task at hand. That strengthening is that spiritual maturing process What does that spiritual maturity look like? How do you know what to look for? Well, spiritual maturity begins because his primary identity is his own conversion. His own conversion, his own salvation. I think the fastest way to make a train wreck of a church and the train wreck of ministry is to have men who are not even converted pursuing biblical leadership in the church. And that's, for most of you, that's that's a no-brainer. You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked at how many church leaders will stand before God on the final day and they'll say, did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a terrifying and sobering thought. But it begins with a man's own conversion. And more than that. It begins when the man is not only converted, but he understands one thing. His primary identity is not a pastor. It's not an elder, but it is as a sinner saved by grace. May I say to you. All of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is your primary identity you start finding your identity in anything else, that can be taken away from you. The only thing that can't be taken away from you is your status as God's child. That has to be your identity. Your job can't be your identity. That may be gone tomorrow. Your spouse can't be your identity. The Lord may take them home. Your status as a parent cannot be your identity. God may call your children home. And you would be without them. Then what are you and who are you? Our identity as leaders in the church can't be that we're leaders in the church because there may be situations where churches run godly leaders out. And it happens. And then what's your identity? It has to be that you're a child of the king. And if that is your identity, nothing else will shake you. This is my primary focus. And so, men who are elders must be spiritually mature men, beginning with their own conversion and their identity being in that conversion. Hey, I belong to the Lord. That's fundamentally who I am. And it makes me what I am. As soon as an elder forgets that, he will become spiritually calloused, he'll become program oriented. He'll become compromised. He'll want to care more about the details of the order of business and Robert's rules of order and minutes and budgets and all of those kind of things, and he'll forget about the sheep. And guess who's coming? The wolf. You don't want elders who are distracted by those things. You want elders who are fully alert because they are aware of their own Identity in Christ and they are primarily concerned about your identity in Christ. Not that the other things don't matter. But they are not priority. Pastors and elders tend to kind of stick together. You don't see it. You don't hear it. You don't know about it, but we do. And there's not a week that goes by that I don't talk to at least one or two of my pastor friends around the world. And we pray for each other, and we encourage one another, and we share our burdens with one another. And one of the things that burdens me and I, I, is for so many of my brothers, brothers in arms, that are in churches that don't get this. And they call and they hurt and they weep and they say things like, maybe I'm done here. Maybe the Lord's done with me here. I just can't do this anymore here. All they want to do is argue about this structure and that structure and this order and that order. And, and, I, and I can't even shepherd because I'm so handcuffed by the formalities. And that's so hard to hear thankful for a church that doesn't treat the church like that and the church a church that understands my calling and the priority of my own being spiritually right and mature and my own responsibility being that of the spiritual care of the church brothers men as we consider this call we are First and foremost, to consider our spiritual condition. Shunning the other things. And understanding that our life is hid with Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.1 If you have then been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That's our call. Not to get bogged down in the other stuff. It almost sounds silly, but it needs to be stated. The primary identity of an elder is his life in Christ. If he doesn't have that, he has no platform to lead from at all. I don't care how many degrees hang on his wall. I don't care how many books he's read. I don't care how many conferences he goes to. I don't care how much of the nuance he can debate and parse out and nuance and all of those things. If his primary identity in his life and his joy is not in Christ, he will never be an effective or even right leader for the church. And it happens. It happens men get distracted that were well-intentioned at one point. It happens that unconverted men find their places into church leadership and they inevitably cause more damage than you can possibly imagine. Let me give you an example. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and following, Paul speaking to Timothy. By the way, a young man who's in a tough situation Timothy is in the church that Paul just left at Acts 20 Paul just left Ephesus he left Timothy there who scholars tell us was probably 16 to 17 to 18 years old let me put that in some context for you that's like sending one of my boys to Joel Osteen's church and say straighten it out Oh, maybe a bit of an overstatement, but not a whole lot. And Paul says this to Timothy. Timothy, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that is, the recognizing of his, the call of God upon him to serve as a pastor, that by them you might fight the good fight keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. You see, do you hear the personal nature of their spiritual maturity here? Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus and Alexander were leaders in the church at Ephesus. They were the wolves Paul warns about in Acts 20. They had come to do great damage to the church and did so that the Apostle Paul has to set it right by Timothy. Now notice in contrast, Paul's statement about Timothy. In the second letter to Timothy second Timothy three: thirteen through fifteen Paul says this, "But evil men and impostors, not real shepherds, not real elders, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. you, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and be." And become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Total opposite of Alexander and Hymenaeus. Men who made shipwreck of their faith and Timothy who has kept the faith. He must be a spiritual man. He must be changed by the gospel. He must be unmoved by anything less than the gospel. And unless he has the gospel coursing in him, unless he is in Christ, he will never be the characters and the characteristics listed in first Timothy chapter three. He will never There is no man so disciplined that he can live his life consistently with 1 Timothy chapter 3. It must be the Holy Spirit doing it in him. An elder cannot teach and proclaim what he himself is not. That's Paul's point to Timothy. Timothy, you're different. You are a spiritual man. They are carnal men. Timothy, I spent years observing you. Timothy, I spent years training you. Timothy, I poured my life into you. I know you're ready for the fight. They didn't, Paul didn't just sling the doors open in the church at Ephesus and say, okay, anybody want to be an elder today? Oh, you'll do. Come on in. Yep, we'll appoint you and you and you. Good enough, let's go. We now have a quorum. Why did Paul not do that? Because Alexander and Hymenaeus were coming. So severe was their judgment, they were turned over to Satan himself for their eternal destruction. Remember, it's impossible to separate who the elder is from what the elder does. What the elder must do is to proclaim the gospel and model the gospel. Therefore, he must be changed by the gospel. He must be a spiritual man beginning with his own conversion. Secondly, he must be a man of necessary, m- mature character. A man of holiness. Holiness. Just next week, Daniel's going to be delivering the great Christian biography of the great Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, who died in his late 20s, burned out for Christ. Robert Murray McShane was famous for one quote. If If you're a preacher and you're talking about McShane, this is probably the quote that comes to your mind. McShane wrote, The greatest need of my people is my own Personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my own personal holiness. Not to be schooled in being a smooth communicator. Not to be the the great program director. But to be a holy man. A set apart man. He would go on to pray Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Lord, work in me. Let the work start here. It's It's a serious thing, brothers and sisters. It's a sobering thing. It's not a thing we can rush or a thing we can... Well, good enough. No! As Paul is instructing the this young man Timothy Timothy he includes these words in first Timothy chapter four sixteen. And if you want to go ahead and turn over there you can because that's where we'll be for the next month. Paul, with all of this circulating in his mind and with a remembrance of his meeting with the Ephesian elders and with an understanding of Alexander and Hymeneus, and with a, a right view that Timothy is being deployed into battle against the wolves as a young man, here is his admonition to this young elder pastor. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. What, Paul? Timothy, pay attention first to your life, then to your doctrine. Because to have doctrine first and no life to match it is to nullify the whole thing. Be right in your own life, Timothy. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Labor for these things. Exhaust yourself for these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself you will make your own salvation a sure thing you will know and have confidence in your in your own spiritual condition and for those who hear you because they won't run away going that guy is a hypocrite nobody listens to a hypocrite Nobody. And you know that. And I know that because we don't. It's a sad reality, but from time to time, I have to go through my library on purge days. And I have to pull books off the shelf of men who didn't do what Paul just told Timothy to do. And their books have to go in the trash. Because I don't like listening to hypocrites. I don't like listening to a man who stands up and says, you know, you need to be faithful to your wife while he's being unfaithful to his. I don't need a man to tell me how to raise my children when he himself hasn't raised his children that way. I want a man who lives first, then preaches next. And that's Paul's admonition to Timothy. And again, this does not happen overnight. This takes time. They must be tested and tried and watched and observed. An elder is a man who is qualified primarily on the grounds of his own spiritual life, his own character, his own Christ-like maturity, his own personal holiness. Let me tell you this, church. You can teach a man almost anything. You can even teach a man who may not be the best communicator in the world, but at some level, you can teach him how to preach. You can help him put together a Sunday school lesson. You can help him do all those things, but you can't teach character. That is an inward wrought work of the Holy Spirit, and without it, he is not qualified. You can't force him to be what he's not. You can't coerce him to be what he's not. You can't draw out of him through motivation what he is not. That is fake. You must watch a man's character. What is an elder? An elder at his most rudimentary level is a converted sinner, spiritually mature and growing in holiness to the point that he leads the church by his own example. Yes, he has to open his mouth and preach, but that preaching finds an audience and a platform on his life. Out of this holiness comes a proper call, a spirit-empowered gifting, and the credibility to lead the flock of Jesus Christ. You can't make him what he's not. Some of you may have seen it in the news on Friday But apparently now in the state of California, if you thought they couldn't be any more confused than they are or have been, this will do it for you. A bumblebee in the state of California is now considered a fish. Let that sink in. A bumblebee in the state of California is now considered a fish in order that it might gain endangered species status. Well, that might work for the state of California and beekeepers. But it doesn't work in the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you call a man. If he doesn't have the character to lead, he is not what you call him. If you call him an elder, it comes more in what you are than what you are called. Now. Understand, we've been in this process for some time, just speaking to our church family. We've been in this process for some time, and maybe some of you have gotten weary of it, and maybe some of you have questioned why it took so long, and those sorts of things. Let me just tell you, it's because you cannot rush these kinds of things. Character can't be rushed. Character can't be pushed. Character can't be put on a timeline. Timeline. And I want you all to be led by men whom you have seen for a long time. In the mundane, every day, week in, week out, put their life under a microscope and look. Because those are the men you need leading you into battle. They're the men you want standing between you and wolves who are absolutely immovable. In the face of spiritual danger. You want men. Who will be there. Because they have been there. Around hospital beds. Weeping with people. You want men. Who you have seen their hearts break. Knowing that when yours is broken. They will break with you too. You don't need a flash in the pan. You need men of proven character. And proven and steady Pursuit of Christ and leading you to Christ by their own example. Third, he must be a man of single focus, and that is to say he is a man saturated in Scripture. There's not a single elder worth his salt in the world who has ever lived who had anything to say worth hearing that did not come from the Word of God. You don't need to hear from me. I have nothing to say. This has everything to say. And so as you look to men who are called to be elders, you need men who are not creative innovators. They're not clever, dynamic, brilliant, smooth, relevant, savvy models of modern ministry. They're ancient men. Men of power because they're in the word of power. Dr. Lawson often says there's two kinds of men in church leadership. Those who preach the Bible and those who need to resign. And it's true. They must be men saturated in the word of God. Everything about them. When you go to them for advice, out comes biblical truth. When you go to them to say, I need wisdom. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Out comes biblical truth. You just poke them anywhere and they bleed Bible. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles have finally called for the office of deacon to be instituted in the church and the church is to go and find men, again, like elders who, who are already doing the work, who have proven themselves reliable men who would then be given a title. By the way, don't ever give anybody a title and then expect them to do the job. Look at the men doing the job, then give them the title. It never works out the other way. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you a pay raise and a title and, you know, all this stuff and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those of you in in the workplace, you know this. And then I'm going to hope that you live up to the expectations. Don't do that. You hire and you place men in leadership in your workplaces. Why? Because they've proven they can do it. The same is true for elders. same is true for deacons. And so the apostles finally having gotten to the point where, hey, look, we can't continue to take care of all the widows and to do all the services that the church needs and preach. And so what do they say? Appoint deacons. Why? So that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts 6-4. It takes a team to do this. Elders must be men who are totally invested in the word of God, nothing else. And if a man says, you know, I don't, I don't really like to read the word, I don't really study the word, he's not an elder. It doesn't matter what you call him, he's not an elder. Because elders are men given to the word. It's their heart's desire. They're going to do it whether they have a title or not. And that's another good test. Is he a man of the word only when he has to teach a lesson or preach a sermon? Or is he a man of the word? Because he's a man of the word. And he just can't live without it. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. What does God approve of then, Paul? A workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. That's what God approves of. What's a man, a young man to do left in a pagan city surrounded by wolves in the midst of persecution in a church plagued by Alexander's and Hymenaeus's? Study the word. Study the word. And when you do that, young or old, but in this case, for the young man, Timothy, Paul can look at him and say, Timothy... 1 Timothy 4:12 Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. No one. Rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What does that sound like? That's character. Show yourself an example to those who believe, and until I come, Timothy, until the reinforcements get there, until the cavalry shows up, give attention to the public reading Of Scripture to exhortation and to teaching. Can you imagine Timothy in this ancient pagan city being bombarded day and night by the enemies of the gospel? I would be so weary, so intimidated. So weakened in my flesh, I would be screaming for Paul to get there. And it's almost like Paul knows this is a propensity for a young man. This could very easily happen. So, Timothy, I've got a solution. Until I get there, just read the Bible publicly. And then exhort what you read. Preach what you read. If we can't do anything else in the church, you know what we can do? We can stand up and read this. If that's all we've got, air quotes, we've still got everything we need. Just read it. In the absence of everything else, read the Scripture and let Scripture do its work. According to Martin Luther, if you can believe him, who turned the world upside down at the time of the Reformation, Martin, what would you do? He said, I didn't do anything. I just read and preached the Scripture, and while I slept, the Word did the work. Do you still believe that as a church? That the Word will do the work? I hope you do. Because the church that survives in the end is a church that is grounded in Scripture, led by men who are saturated in that Scripture, and who will die before they give up its foundation. We may die with a blood-stained foundation, but we're not giving it up. There may be blood everywhere, but we're not giving up the Word. We'll die first. That has to be an elder's commitment. And that kind of commitment only comes from men who have character that has been brought about because of their own salvation and their own conviction. That's what an elder is. That's who he is. Now you take that grid and you take that philosophy into any modern bookstore and go to the section on what his leadership in the church look like, they don't match. Maybe that's why the church is failing. We've gotten away from truth. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's very uncomplicated. It's very basic. A few years ago, when I was preparing to go to Belarus, and they asked me to teach a class for a week on church planting. And said, you know, you you need to find books for the students to read, and you need to write assignments based on They're reading for the class. You know, it was really tragic. I went, I bought all kinds of books on church planting. I bought all the latest books that were out there and all the greatest wisdom, the books that were the best sellers. And, you know, people, oh, if you're a church planter, you got to read this book, you got to read this. And I started reading the books and you know what the sad reality was? Not one of those books applied in a communist country where the word of God Is outlawed. So, you know what you do? You go back to the book of Acts and you write your own curriculum because it transcends all of that. This book and this book's outline of what biblical leadership in the church is to be like will go anywhere in any age. And it will do a work nothing else can do. And we must wed ourselves to this. We must never budge from this in defining what an elder is. And in defining what he is, it will define what we are to do, to Dad, to Terry. This defines wh- who we are def- also defines what we do. We lead. To Christ who has changed us. To other men in your home. To other men who someday will be elders in the church. We lead based on what has happened first in us. And then one last thing. An elder is a man whose life bears fruit that others can pick. When Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he listed, didn't he, the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. By the way, that's not Paul that by disciplined living and, you know, whatever, had produced his own fruit. This is fruit the Spirit of God produced in him. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Paul trying to play the role of the Spirit. Is what the Holy Spirit did in him. And these fruits for the elder grow in his life or must should grow. And if they're not growing, he shouldn't be an elder. So that when the people in the church walk by his life and are in need of encouragement and in need of instruction, they just grab the fruit off of his life and examine it and say, this is what I need. And this is what I must pray for. And this is what I must depend upon the spirit for. That the spirit would produce. But I need to see it. How many of you learn best by YouTube videos? Rather than instruction manuals that are Chinese, Spanish, French, and English. That tell you nothing about how to do the project. What do you do? You go to YouTube. You watch the guy do it, don't you? And you learn. Same way with an elder. This is our life. People are to come by our life. They're to look at our life and say, ah, that's how you do that. I get it now. He cares so deeply about others that he submits himself to the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God will produce in him that which can be understood by others to be the fruit of genuine salvation. Let me tell you, that's a humbling thing. God doesn't need me. God will work through any man who submits himself to the Spirit of God. He will use that man. He will humble that man so that pride is driven out of him. So that a sense of self-sufficiency or self-importance is absolutely beaten out of him. And humility comes in its place. And in that humility, he is a peaceable man. He is a gentle man. He's a man who doesn't seek conflict. But he's not afraid to fight the wolves when he needs to. But to his own sheep, to his own people, he is tender and they love to come under the shade of that tree and to pick that fruit and to learn from his life and to walk together. Pride produces conflict. Humility produces opportunity. And this is what an elder is. Men, in our own homes, we need to ask ourselves the question. Am I easily offended? Am I combative? Am I a good listener? Do I care about how others feel? Do I care about how how others perceive things? Do I care how my response to my wife, my children, others in my church, do I care about how that's going to affect them? An elder would say, I care about those things. And no, I don't want to be combative. And no, I don't want to be harsh. And no, I don't want to be difficult to get along with. Why? I want people to come alongside me and observe my life. Not for my glory, but so that they can experience the victory God's also granted to me. Takes a humble man, a loving man, a caring man. This is what an elder is. And I think you can make the natural and easy connections between if this is what he is, then that's what he's going to do. It's not hard. If he is this, then I know that's how he's going to respond. May God help all of us as men to be spiritual men. Beginning with our conversion through our own sanctification and growth and personal holiness into our own tenderness in leading others. This is what God calls elders to be, but it's, What He calls all of us to be. For the glory of God. For a right exalting of who He is. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it gives us clear instructions. And thank You, Father, that Your instructions come written In a way that we can understand. They're not instructions written in a foreign language. They're instructions written in high definition. 4K quality. That we can see other men's lives. Beginning with the Lord Jesus. Down through the apostles. Down through the history of the church. As Paul told Timothy. Follow me as I follow Christ. Train other men to follow you as you have followed me and as I have followed Christ. Let there be an unbroken chain from Jesus to those, Lord, that touch our lives every day. Let there be an unbroken chain of changed living that has come about by the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit in us that others would draw up in the heat of this world underneath the shade of our trees and Observe our fruit that You have put in our life by the work of Your Spirit. And may we have opportunity to love them, to lead them, to shepherd them, to care for them, to protect them, and nurture them so that when they go to heaven, they are a bride well ready for her wedding day, prepared in every way. May that be our heart and our life cause us to grow in these things. Lord, please bless our church as these two men come on in formal recognition of things they've already been doing. May as our church recognizes them, may they be blessed. May our church be blessed. And Lord, would You bless us with other men also who will rise to the occasion Of being what God desires them to be. And then sharing that life with this church. So that our church for generations has an unbroken chain. Of effective leadership for the glory of God. And the good of His people. Make that our prayer Lord as we go through this month. May we faithfully pray for one another as men to live this out. May we pray for those in leadership who are leading publicly and who we have placed in formal positions of leadership and service. May we all be faithful to pray for them. Do it for your own sake, Lord Jesus. This is your church. Make us what You would have us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.